What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Goose Knob Show. So a quick idea I wanted to, to talk about is the concept of tattoos. So I think that, I think that, I don't know why in modern culture tattoos have been become such a, such a norm. Actually, I guess, I, I guess, well, let's explore that. I think, I think I know why, actually. I think in the, you know, from the 60s to the 80s, you know, the punk culture and I guess just the rebellious aesthetic that a lot of society was going for, given the fact that, you know, postmodernism was kind of rebelling against the previous norms and all that. And actually, well, it's complicated. It's complicated why the 60s revolutions happened. But I mean, one of the effects of all the ideologies was people were, you know, rebelling against the previous order, the previous sense of aesthetics, the previous, you know, structure of society. And one very easy way to do that was to rebel against the idea of, you know, a, of traditional outfits, traditional, you know, appearance, tradition, traditional, you know, fashionable aesthetics. And I mean, what, a, what, what better way to do this than, you know, putting a bunch of face piercings and ear piercings and all this other stuff and have a bunch of tattoos. Because if you look at like, you know, wasp Puritan culture, I feel like all of those things are the antithetical to that, right? And at the same time, I guess you saw a rise in extremely immodest clothing. I mean, just look at the 60s and 70s, for goodness sakes. And, and then I guess you have a rise in different fashions, but those, I'd say, are also due to factors that aren't exactly just rebelling against the previous society. I think that a lot of fashion is was kind of... The directions in fashion were also governed by, I guess, a Marxist hatred of the rich or upper ruling class or aristocracy and a rejection of the, I guess, a previously commonly accepted understanding that of, you know, people should be aspire to be in the aristocracy or aspire to be, you know, in the ruling class. And one way that people would do that is by wearing you know, fancy clothes and whatnot. And one thing that happened in the 60s onwards is people started just wearing, you know, rags and really just, you know, not really, not really, not the best clothes. They ended up, everyone ended up just wearing casual stuff. So, so anyway, this is kind of a tangent to the point we were making of just, you know, rebellious fashion and rebellious choices. But... I mean, I think you can kind of understand a lot of where modern fashion went because of, you know, these different ideologies, the ideology of Marxism, the ideology of postmodernism, and I guess just the rebelliousness and the anti-authority sentiment that came from both of those, right? And I'd say that this is a pretty, you know, pretty level take on why this happened. It's not just, this, these, these trends didn't just pop out of nowhere, you know, you got to understand like every, every ideology, every 
every design choice comes from a belief system. And I think that's why these belief systems popped up. Now, we went into why they popped up. I'm going to say why I think the cavalier attitude towards, you know, I call it bodily mutilation. It's not mutilation. It's more of like, a, I don't know, scribbling all over your body and, uh, you know, piercing yourself up. You know, let's call it like soft body mutilation or, yeah, we'll call it that. My take on soft body mutilation is you need, if you're going to do it, you need to be extremely deliberate with what you're doing and you need to know exactly why you're doing it. And you also, I think, need to understand where things sit in the natural order of things. So, first off, you have to understand the dichotomy between males and females, the masculine and the feminine energies behind human behavior. And I am not going to be able to comprehensively go into everything here, but... I guess to put it simply, men and women, they're, they're, they have much different, I guess, places in the world with regards to what, what the masculine and feminine mean symbolically. The feminine, at its core, is an embodiment, is a human embodiment of nature. And... What I mean by that is that I think women are fundamentally tied, like, like inseparably from, you know, the natural world because, you know, women, you know, they, they have machinery inside of them that creates new life, you know, and nature is kind of the process of the creation of new life and the, the, the promulgation of that, you know, nature is a supporting mechanism, you know. You go into nature, you pick fruits, you, you hunt animals, you, you are able to sustain and nourish yourself through nature. And in the, in, through the natural order, the feminine, the feminine's role is, is supporting and is nurturing and is, is life-giving and life-bearing, you know. In, in, in the feminine is a direct parallel to nature. And I guess another interesting like point here, this is just a, I guess, from a psychological perspective, one of my, one of my friends in architecture, I guess a few years ago, he was learning about, I guess, what different psychological, you know, what different forms meant psychologically. And it's interesting. Historically, you know, hills, Rolling hills, rolling hills, you know, ro rolling curvaceous hills were a direct symbol of the feminine for, for basically all of human history. And this is why many cities were built on, like, hills, besides, like, you know, the, the, the obvious fortificational purposes. But, like, cities were built on hills partially because they were viewed as, like, you know, fertile areas that echoed, you know, the curves of, you know, like a woman or something like that. And 
And anyway, like, that's just a, another parallel, you know, between, you know, the, the form of the feminine and the form of feminine, femininity found in nature through the lens of how humans view that, I guess, psychologically. Anyway, so the point is, the feminine is nature, right? The feminine is mother nature. Mother nature is the feminine. The female form echoes the natural world. In a different way, I would say the male form, it's more of a warrior. Well, I mean, you got like, what is it? Three different, four different archetypes. You got the warrior, the king, the wizard, or the... And then there's like probably one more, but... That's kind of what, what men are. And I think for men... The form of the male body, the form of the male, I guess, fashion, all that, it's not, not really nature. It's not really, it's less of a nature thing. It's more of a, a rugged, you know, men are like rugged natural tools that are used to conquer chaotic, I guess, the chaos, the chaos of the world. And to, you know, like it's a pioneer, it's a warrior, it's someone who goes into nature and I guess conquers it and makes it somewhere where civilization can flourish. And in this way, the masculine is fundamentally different than the feminine, you know. In order to go out into nature and to turn it into civilization, you need to be, you know, a machine of some sorts. You need to be someone who can be you know, attacked and nearly killed, but stay, still stand up on top, you know? And I think this is why in many cultures you saw, you know, men getting like tribal warrior tattoos or, or have different, you know, mutilations or scars or things like that um, for them, you know? This is why, I think this is why too, that like, you know, men typically have short hair you know, they typically, there's a lot of, you know, bodily modification for men because of this fundamental difference in dichotomy. Whereas with women, you know, they're expected to have long hair. They're expected to, you know, I don't know, have more flowy, you know, maybe more, you know, natural, a natural aesthetic to them, you know, dresses, other things like that, you know, more of like, you know, flowery things, you know, like the feminine is almost always associated with nature. The masculine is almost always associated with like a brutal, rugged, um, pragmatic form, right? And, and when it comes to, I guess, body modification and, and tattoos and things like that, for men, I guess there's two ways of going about it. You can go the aristocratic route, you know, not do that. Go the king, king philosopher route. Not, not, not go into that. Or you could go the full warrior, I guess, mode, and maybe use that as like you know, a, like a tribal marker. And 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 maybe there's a place for for tattoos within you know the masculine fashion and the masculine form. Um, 
I would say though that you need to be extremely deliberate and you need to understand why you're actually doing it. You can't just, oh, I'm just going to get a tattoo of a clown on my chest. Cause, uh, duh, 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 duh. I think, I think like, I think if you're doing something, it needs to be done deliberately and with intention. It can't be done with like, you know, just, just because you're being a, you know, a, an idiot. Um, and I don't know. I don't even know if I completely agree with the, the sentiment that, you know, men should get tattoos, but I feel like it's, there should be, there's more leniency to that. And maybe there's more of a place to that. I guess one of my friends said, you know, I said, don't put an, uh, a, a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. But it, he said, you know, a, a Formula One race car looks kind of cool. With, with like all the stickers and advertisements on it. And I think that, you know, he has a point. But, but, the point fundamentally forgets the different dichotomy in masculine and feminine aesthetics. The masculine aesthetic, you know, that's kind of like the Formula One race car, you know. It's a ruggedized, extremely you know, like purpose built, pragmatic race car, you know, and all the stickers on and all those things, you know, they're, they're, they're there because, you know, those are the corporations that support, you know, the formula one race car, you know, the formula one, it's, it's a very masculine sport, right? But, and I, I think that this is how, um, supercars were, were developed, but supercars are very curvy. They're very flowy. They're very natural, you know, and I think, I think like, I'm, I'm like a hundred, I don't know exactly where I saw this, but like sports cars are meant to imitate the form of the female and thus imitate the form of nature. You know, they're flowy, you know, in the 1950s or sixties, supercars were, 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 or, you know, sports cars were always marketed as like being red. The, the red sports car, you know, the red sports car with the, the woman sitting on the hood, and that's how they would advertise it, right? Sports cars were feminine, right? And the reason why you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari is because it is of feminine form, right? It is of the form of nature. So, you know, sure. An F1, a Formula One race car should have stickers on it, but a sports car should not. In a similar way, if you see the beauty of nature, I 100% would not want to see man-made advertisements put into a forest, put on a mountain. I don't want to see human scribbles and scrawls on a, a tree in, in a natural environment. You know, there's architecture that can fit into these, these areas, you know, like a log cabin and things like that. But that's not, you know, arbitrary human scrawls. You know, it's not like some, some scribbles you put in into the, the, the form of the vastness of the beauty of nature. Right. That being said, maybe there's a place for, for advertisements in a, you know, like Times Square, for example. That's just a place that is completely dedicated to 
advertisement. And there's, you know, there's some intro mystical element to that, right? But there's places. And, and you have to understand the, the masculine and feminine dichotomy to the different places, to the different areas, to the different people that you apply different human forms to, right? And by human form, I'm meaning like, you know, a tattoo is a human form. It's a, it's a implementation of human artwork onto some medium, right? I guess I'd also say, you know, the medium is the message, right? The feminine, the masculine are different mediums and the message that you're, 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 (laughs) <laughs> the message that you are sending if you are putting a tattoo on the masculine or feminine form is fundamentally different given the fact that the masculine and feminine forms are so radically different in what they symbolically mean. As I said before, like if you put a tattoo on a man, it's like he's trying to be a warrior or something like that, right? But if you put a tattoo on a woman... It's equivalent to putting a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. It's equivalent to putting a billboard in the middle of a forest. It's equivalent to, to despoiling nature, to, to putting an arbitrary human scribble somewhere where it shouldn't be. And practically, in dating, women with tattoos, I think that that is a... That is a sign of a confusion of her own femininity and a a deep confusion of what her, you know, what direction she should be striving for, of where where her values are aligned. I think it it might also be a a, a symbol or a... uh, you know, a warning sign of, you know, the, the inversion of the masculine and feminine we see in, you know, post-1960s, postmodern times where, you know, me- women are expected to be, you know, essentially masculine role models or whatever, you know. They're supposed to be the breadwinners. They're supposed to be this. They're supposed to be that. You know, an inversion of, of, of the truth that we see in this, in this new cultural revolution. And I think that, 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 you know, women who tattoo themselves, who, who, you know, cut their hair super short, who are trying to essentially be men, all, all these things are, are, are indicators that, that, I don't know, of a warped and dysfunctional value system and worldview. I'd, I'd also say that this could be a, a, a indicator of trauma, of, and, and, and the, the confusion and bitterness and, and anger that comes from that, you know, and maybe, maybe that, that confusion and anger from, you know, being hurt in the past or, you know, something similar to that, you know, they lash out at reality itself. They lash out at the order of, of existence. They lash out at, you know, they lash out at their fathers, you know, that's, that's something you see often, um, you know, because, you know, the father is meant to be the protector, meant to be the leader, meant to be, in a way, an analog to 
you know, someone who's in charge of the world, I guess. And by, by, you know, doing something antithetical to what the father would want, you know, they are lashing out at the world. You know, why is God always talked about as a man, right? Why is the, the consciousness behind reality itself masculine, you know? Like a lot of, a lot of the time when you see, a lot of times when you see trauma or, or a woman who's gone through a, a, like a lot of just terrible things in her life, you know, you know, I feel like she lashes out at the father or maybe even a weak father, you know, that's, that makes it even worse. A weak father, a weak father signifies to a woman that reality itself is built on unsturdy and stupid foundations. You know, by, by being a weak father, you're saying the nature of reality is such that it's relative, that it is, you know, it's arbitrary and, and, and it's something that you can rebel against and you can make something better then, you know, because, you know, a woman who has a weak father who, you know, does, isn't a good role model, isn't a good, you know, a, a virtuous and nurturing person who isn't someone who, who helps, you know, and is someone who leaves their daughter in a state of like confusion and chaos, like a father like that, what is he telling like her daughter, his daughter about the world? He's saying, you know what, you know, me being a father, a symbol of, you know, the nature of ordered reality, you know, I'm saying that ordered reality is chaotic and imperfect and idiotic and stupid, you know, and weak, which is not how reality is. And by doing so, by being that role model, I think that, that weak fathers in this sense make the daughters think that that's the nature of reality and thus make them want to rebel against it. And I, and I don't know why, but I feel like there's a lot, there's been a lot of weak fathers, you know, in the baby boomer generation and on. And that's, that's something I, I have no, no idea why. Maybe it's because it's just, this has always been the way, this way. But I don't think that I don't think that's the case. I think that there's probably there's probably factors in the modern day that that are are causing this. But that's probably a, that's a talk for another time. But I don't know if you have any if you have any ideas on why that is. Please let me know, and uh, we can continue the conversation on JBS Snob at. On Instagram or Gusnov on Instagram or quantumsnov at gmail.com. But I hope you enjoyed this podcast and uh, check out the next episode and share this with your friends. Share this with your friends or I will, you will find me under your bed tonight with a